Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Thank you, Ruby. Uh, good afternoon, everybody, and thank you for joining this uh, Q&A session in respect of the uh, third quarter report and updated outlook. I'm Martin Horgan, CEO. I'm joined today by Ross Gerard, Chief Financial Officer. Diane, we're both dialing in from site in Egypt, uh, and Alex Cars, Investor Relations, who's in London. Um, I will open up with a short introduction and overview of the Q3 report, and then we'll step into Q&A. So to start, a brief comment on the third quarter performance, which to my mind was good across the key areas of safety, production and costs. The operating team continues to navigate COVID to deliver the results, and it was a quarter of compliance with plan, which will remain a key focus for management as we go forward. The fourth quarter forecast has now been confirmed over the last weeks. We have a plan to address the area of instability in the West Wall that was highlighted previously through a combination of mining and dewatering. We're being supported by our external consultants, Mike Peasold and Snowdens, uh, around hydrogeology and geotech in this issue. Rehabilitation of the area will begin later in Q4 and continue into 2021. Over the balance of this year, mill feed will come from a combination of the lower grade stage 5 north area of the open pit, underground and stockpile materials as has previously been identified. With spare mining capacity in the open pit, we're looking to get on the front foot in respect of the open pit stripping <clears throat> that has been neglected for too long. Over the back of this quarter of this, uh, this year, we'll have a strip ratio of over 30 to 1 in November and December as we start to prep for next year and beyond. And this really is a microcosm of the operation today and leads into the outlook for 2021. The open pit has been somewhat painted into a corner for some time now. A short-term planning cycle has led to medium to longer-term considerations being parked in favour of nearer-term production goals. If I look back to the 2015 43 uh, technical report, this calls for a life of mine strip ratio of 6 to 1. Sukari has operated an average ratio of 3.7 to 1 since 2015. This has led us to the point where the open pit has, absolutely, uh, has very limited flexibility for all mining and needs a concerted waste stripping campaign over the next three to four years to play catch up. This will provide access to better and medium high grade ore feed while simultaneously offering greater operating flexibility. 2021 therefore represents the first step of a stage recovery towards previous production levels over the next three years. As we look at 21 and into 22, all will come primarily from the stage five north uh, area of the open pit, which is at about 0.7 to 0.9 grams per tonne, with some benefit of the blended in stage four west area that is being recovered. Underground operations are focused on the Patar zone. This is a bulk tonnage target that sits about five grams per tonne and there is not the possibility or opportunity to make up any shortfall from the open pit from higher grade underground material at this time. <clears throat> we are faced therefore with a situation of a reduced production profile at the same time we are required to invest in an increased stripping ratio that will allow recovery in production into the future. However, despite the situation, as we move through our reset planning, it is important to note that the operations remain resilient in terms of cash flow generation which will support not only operations increased stripping, but also our planned exploration and capital projects. The Life of Asset Review is focused not only on the physical schedule required to reset Sukari, but also a series of cost and efficiency initiatives. None of those have been layered into the cost associated with this 21 outlook. 
We believe there are a number of opportunities to reduce the cost base that are well advanced in terms of their evaluation and will form part of the life of asset update to be given early December. A focus on cost and hence margin generation is a key focus as we look to the future and the opportunity to push the operating costs towards the bottom of the cost curve will remain a focus for management. We retain a strong and flexible balance sheet. Some 350 million of cash and liquid are, are there today with no debt and no hedging. I believe we have the technical, operating and financial capacity to implement the phase two reset plan, which seeks to take sentiment through the next decade and beyond, with a focus on a long-term planning cycle, which is based on good data and engineering, which supports short-term budgets. We will apply the compliance with plan approach to management, and our focus will be on, <coughs> sorry, excuse me, as the planning cycle will seek to embed both resilience and flexibility into our operations to enable us to deliver both predictable and sustainable cash flows. We remain cognizant of the importance of the dividend policy and its relevance to the sentiment investment case. While it's ultimately a decision for the board, we believe that we can continue to deliver these reset plans while recognizing the importance of the dividend policy. A longer term vision for sentiment remains unchanged and will be presented in early detail in December. But after this period of repositioning, I believe that over the longer term, the idea is to have Sukari as an asset consistently meeting its production targets based on our stated value over volume strategy while leveraging up our experience and infrastructure to explore the full potential of the Arabian moving shield across Egypt and other jurisdictions, including West Africa and beyond. I'll now open up to questions and answer session, and myself and Ross are available to take any questions you may have. Thank you, Ruby. Over to you for the Q&A, please. Thank you very much. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question, please press star, followed by one on your telephone keypad now. If you change your mind, please press star, followed by two. When preparing to ask your question, please ensure you are unmuted locally. Our first question is from Kevin Kadudi of BOA. Your line is now open. Please go ahead. Good afternoon. Thank you for taking my question. So you announced a lower 2021 production guidance and a higher cost guidance than previously communicated by Centamin. Um, the, the mine used to produce 550,000 ounces of gold a year a few years ago. You are going to communicate a three-year production guidance in early December. Uh, are you able to tell us today what you're trying to work towards? Should we see um, Centamin targeting 500,000 ounces a year in the next three years or targeting the 550 that Tukari could produce in the past? And, and I have the same question for cost. Thank you. Thank you. So uh, uh, maybe I'll answer the first question as part of the target for, for the production profile, and I'll pass across to Ross to talk about the, the costs. In terms of the Snowden Life of Asset Review, uh, which I picked up in April when I joined, um, the, the, value, the, the part of the Life of Asset was to assess the operations as they stand, uh, uh, you know, identify areas of, of data deficiency, and identify areas of opportunity, and to seek to return the asset to previous production levels of circa 500,000 ounces per annum based on the current infrastructure we have. So in terms of the first phase, if you like, of the life of asset that we're looking at, the plan derived and devised is taking us on that steps journey back towards 500,000 over the next three years. So that will be a steps journey as we move up from this current level next year, which I believe and hope will be the, the first step, if you like, and as we step up towards that 500,000 level. Now, beyond that, the sort of the phase two of the life of asset, which we'll talk to next year, once we've collected the data uh, deficient, uh, worked through all the potential optimizations and scenarios, is that that may well look slightly different, uh, and that will we'll be assessing the sort of value over volume approach to understand 
Is there a smarter and better way to mine Sukari that leads to a longer sustainable out, uh, uh, outlook for us as we focus on cash flow generation as well? Now, that may well bring us back to the 500,000 level. Uh, it may well change from that as well. But certainly this first phase is, is designed to step us back towards that 500,000 ounces. Uh, and that's what we'll be talking in a bit more detail in early December. Uh, and the longer term plan may well look at a, a change in strategy, but that will be communicated at that time. Ross, on the costs. Thanks, Martin. Um, hi, Kevin. Yes, uh, certainly over the, the next three years, we'll be focusing on, on the cost um, overlay. Um, as Martin mentioned, these costs that have been put in the guidance are very much uh, uh, the, the base case costs as we uh, stand today, and we're giving more, giving more color on that as part of the life of assets um, review. Uh, there are a number of initiatives, some of which have been mentioned previously, so the, the outlay of, of solar projects um, and possible alternative power sources, um, but there are a number of initiatives across the organization, including loading, um, fires, maintenance, um, a, a whole uh, suite of initiatives that we'll be giving you more color on. But um, the, the underlying principle is all around free cash flow. Um, we recognize the importance of, of the dividend uh, policy and, and generating free cash flow. And even though we've uh, taken a step back on the ounce profile, we believe that there's a significant chunk of cost that we can uh, take out of the business um, and still underpin a free cash flow generation which aligns with the dividend policy. Um, Okay, thank you very much, Verke. Thank you very much. Our next question is from Alan Spence of Jefferies. Your line is now open. Please go ahead. Hi, thanks for taking my questions. I've got a couple, so I'll just take them one at a time. Um, the first one around 2021 production. The implied quarterly run rate is a decent step up from the implication for the fourth quarter of 2020. What quarter in 2021, should we be beginning to see that uplift, or how roughly should we be thinking about first half versus second half split? Sure, sure. Um, well, maybe uh, uh, we will talk to this in more detail on the 2nd December, Alan, but, but I would say that in terms of 2021, um, you know, back end of this year, we'll be looking to open up stage five north with that, uh, uh, you know, stripping that I mentioned earlier. Uh, and that will provide uh, that area as a, a primary sort of, you know, all source for, for the open pit. There is a little bit of material to come from stage four north, uh, and then with the rehabilitation of stage four west, that should come into the second half of the year. So, so as you think about it, if you like, stage five will provide a base load across the full year, a little bit of stage four north to come in the first half of the year, uh, and the stage four west material to come in the second half of the year as currently scheduled. Um, so I think that's probably a good way to think of it for now, uh, and we'll certainly provide some more clarity and colour on that uh, on the 2nd of December as we step into that life of asset plan. Okay, that's helpful. And then turning to the underground, in the report it notes some improved mine planning and the use of backfill, which has given you better dilution control. Can you just put a few numbers to that? You know, I don't know whether you want to, if it's easier to say total underground or focus on a certain areas. But how has that those dilution numbers trended over, say, three to four quarters? Uh, probably an easy way. We, we had a, a two-hour mine planning meeting yesterday, Alan, uh, and I think you know we were talking about next year uh, and around dilution control and you know good grade control ahead of uh, production, which allows to better planning, uh, better operational control with backfill. So, for example, in the uh, Qatar stockworks area, which will form the, um, the you know the bulk of underground feed for the next two or three years, uh, that is a bulk area. 
Uh, and historically, uh, mine planning would attribute around about a 30% dilution to uh, to sort of you know bulk mining in Qatar. Uh, and the, uh, the, the this year to date, mining in similar areas, we've actually achieved more like 10 to 12% of dilution. So a planning factor for next year will be based on 15%. So as you can see, sort of you know on an underground basis where you're relatively constrained on on, on tramming capacity uh, to get material uh, from underground. Um, you know, moving from 30% dilution assumption over break on, on the mining down to 15 as a planning uh, target, but actually achieving 10 to 12% is a significant uh, benefit. So, you know, grade up, tons hauled down as well. So that's the sort of thing that we're looking at underground as we go forward uh, to really sort of, you know, design scopes of good grade control data uh, and then good, ex good execution in terms of uh, uh, looking to maximize that grade, minimize tons with a, a fixed haulage capacity. Perfect. And then my last one is around um, the CapEx reduction for this year, 30 to 40 million. That was pushed in 2021. Uh, what was the reason for the delay in the spend? Were there certain activities that because of COVID-19 you're just not going to be able to do or why not do them this year? And then the, the, the primary one was obviously the solar project. Um, and that was really around the COVID um, and, and managing sites and making sure that footfall on sites is limited as much as possible. So whilst the project was still going ahead with uh, a lot of the groundworks and um, some of the um, high voltage um, integration systems and the like, we really wanted to limit the, limit the number of, uh, I guess, foreign manpower and, and, and our labor force on site. So a lot of that was pushed to the right. There were also a number of other initiatives that um, um, we've uh, pushed Push to the right. We haven't deferred completely. They will need to be done, um, but it was all around um, managing headcount and people on the site. Okay, but the Sorry, primarily I, the, I, the, the primary primary one was solar. Okay, maybe I, I might have read it wrong in the report. I took that as being a reduction as of today, but I thought we already knew about solar. But perhaps that was uh, my my mistake there. Thank you, guys. Yeah. Thank you, Alan. Our next question is from Hunter Hillcoat of Investec. Your line is now open. Please go ahead. Uh, good afternoon, guys. Um, just a few questions from me, uh, some of which would be follow-up. Um, the actions that you'll be taking to remediate the pits and get access to Stage 4 um, strikes me it's going to take about 9 to 12 months to do this. Why is it going to take so long, given... It's a reasonably localized issue, or, or is there a lot more work to it uh, than I'm expecting? No, no. I think um, look, the, the area itself is, is not particularly extensive. Uh, um, you know, it does form part of the stage uh, six, uh, sorry, stage five pushback. Um, so part of the strategy is to to get on with that stage five stripping and unload that area of stability from the top. Um, it's also a, a localized area of dewatering by boreholes and pumps. Um, so, in terms of rather than just sort of focusing of, of, uh, on, the, on, on the localized area to de uh, unload that, you know, it's part of that stage five pushback. So, we might as well get on with the entire stage, uh, do that uh, as part of the, the, the normal course of, uh, of mine scheduling and sequencing, uh, and that will then allow us to, to sort of free up the area to come back in. So, rather than go in and campaign a small area to make stage four west available earlier in the year, then have to go back and, and then you know carry on with a broader stage five pushback in the west wall. The, the plan is to move it all as part of the stage five pushback, 
that will naturally unload the area of instability, carry on with the dewatering, and then once that's completed, allow us to, well, we'll complete the full stage five uh, pushback with that, that area, uh, then go back in and mine it. So um, the plan is to bring that material into the second half of the year, and that's all just around that waste sequencing in the west wall. Gotcha. Um, you'd mentioned uh, when you first talked about um, the geotech issue that you expected to be free cash flow neutral in the quarter, uh, assuming no changes to CapEx. Um, now, you have pushed out $30 million of CapEx, and you're still free cash flow neutral. Was there, was there an unexpected cost involved in all this? Uh, well, there had, had, had been some of the COVID costs that have come through, but, um, you know, in, in terms of the, the CapEx profile, uh, you know, was back-end weighted. We have got a few big swing um, numbers that are sitting there. The, the prime one sits with these two excavators that we've ordered and when they actually uh, sort of fall, so there's a $10 million swing that uh, is sitting there and it's whether it comes through and is delivered before Christmas or it's early in the, in the new year. And then there was a bit of capex on the ventilation system that um, might might not uh, drop on that. So it's somewhat conservative, and it's also uh, driven by, I guess, the ultimate realised gold price as we go through. But it's, um, you know, basically neutral, or um, you know, we're pushing as hard as we can that we will be positive, but it's not going to be a, a, a material change in the in the fourth quarter. Okay, good. Thanks, Ross. And I'm going to just ask one one last one. Uh, within your guidance of 400 to 430 next year, what contributions should we be expecting from underground where operations continue as normal? Is it sort of the same level as this year? So, look, I, I think, yeah, and, and uh, sort of an easier, a good way to think about the underground is that we, we have a, clearly a sort of, you know, fixed underground capacity of, you know, 1.2 million tonnes per annum of total material moved, so that kind of fixes that for us. Uh, and then when we look at um, when we look then look at the <coughs> excuse me, sorry, uh, and when we then we look at the um, uh, the sort of the area we're mining in Qatar, that's about sort of five to six grams as well. So so in terms of the underground ore mine next year, it'll be plus minus a million tons uh, material. Uh, and then when we look at sort of a combination of development tons and stoping tons, stoping tons in and around the sort of five gram type material. Uh, uh, and then so, uh, development tons probably more like sort of three and a half or something like that, then sort of, you know, that million tons of material moved will sit around, say, four grams plus minus next year. So so that will, you know, be consistent. We had a, just, we're planning for just over 100,000 ounces uh, uh, this year from the underground. That's coming on budget. Uh, and then next year we might be slightly up on that, maybe towards sort of uh, 105 to 110. But that really, you know, moves forward until we can get into – the uh, top of Horus and Horus zone where grades appear to improve by, you know, potentially a couple of three grams is that, you know, Qatar will form uh, the, the majority of our underground feed. And as I mentioned before, that is a bulk tonnage, uh, you know, well, comparatively to a, a, a bulk tonnage lower grade area uh, as we go forward. So, yeah, consistent with this year as we roll forward. Thank you. Thank you very much. Our next question is from Sharik El Havad of of Harman Capital. Your line is now open. Please go ahead. Yeah, thank you uh, for for the call. Uh, I wanted to first understand what happened with the with the you know the the waste. So, uh, so I've read that you've detected movement in in some of the waste. Is this normal for for a miner to to go through that, or is this uh, uh, poor waste management from 
you know, from from the you know, I don't know, previous management or from the company. Sure, sure. Well, I, I think there's two parts to the the issue that, that sort of we flagged up earlier in the month. So, firstly, uh, just talking to the guys at site over the last week, ten days uh, around that is that you know one always tries to design open pit slopes uh, not 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 too conservatively because you're moving too much waste and, and not overly aggressively because it fails. So, so one's always looking to have a you know a, a balanced approach to pit slope uh, uh, sort of um, uh, development. Um, you know, localized small areas of movement in, in, in uh, you know, a bench or two are, are not uncommon in open pit operations and are often dealt with just as part of a normal course of business. And talking to the, the team down here, that you know, since 2015, you know, small areas of instability are, are encountered from time to time across the open pit uh, in its entirety. And, and I think that's certainly uh, not, not a surprise at Sukari and, and in my experience, you know, uh, red, you know, fairly common across uh, all open pits uh, around the world. So, so I think the team have historically encountered small localized areas of either small failures or instability, uh, and at that time, they've obviously dealt with them by, you know, stabilizing them. Uh, and if there's any sort of risk to production, they were able to move to a different part of the pit, continue mining ore while they did the rehabilitation. So, so I think sort of, you know, the localizing stability, not uncommon at Sukari, certainly dated back to 2015 as a sort of regular course of business uh, and, and sort of, you know, dealt with in that manner. The, the real issue for, for the, the, you know, 2020 guidance was that once we had this area of instability, it's the fact that it coincided with the only really available uh, all source. And it's back to this issue around scheduling that given a, you know, historical sort of lagging or lacking on, on strip ratio is that, you know, the all the sort of the open pit hadn't been developed with multiple or was at a stage that didn't have multiple uh, uh, open sort of working areas available. So once we had this this area of instability is impacted on the stage four west uh, the stage four west high grade zone, is that we couldn't move our equipment to another area and carry on mining while we rehabilitated. Once that area was temporarily sterilised or deferred, then we had nowhere else to go. Uh, and, and that is, you know, a function of that sort of lack of historical stripping that I mentioned earlier. Um, so to answer your question, not an unusual occurrence in open pits globally, certainly not an unusual occurrence in Sukari going back to 2015. However, it became a guidance issue given the lack of operational flexibility in the pit, given that lack of historical sort of long-term planning in the open pit sequencing. Yeah. So would, should we factor in, you know, a recurrence of these issues going forward? Is this something that, uh, you know, we, we might, you know, have in a few years? I, I think that, that as the operations team runs forward now, is that when we look at sort of overall geotechnical evaluation of the, uh, of the pit, we'll, we'll continue to look to, you know, optimize our, our pit slopes such that we're not overstripping or, or indeed understripping in terms of angles. Um, in terms of, you know, having, you know, response to localized issues, that's always important. We do look at the plan and we do risk-adjusted plans, so we, we anticipate that whatever the sort of, you know, maximum open pit production might be, it is derated somewhat on a risk-adjusted basis to account for, you know, the, the inevitable lumps and bumps along the way. So certainly the plans that they laid out do allow for, for you know, small localized issues from time to time. We're not always running at 110% and pushing as hard as we can. One has to have a natural element of float in the in the plan. Not too significant. That's in there. Uh, uh, but um, but no, I, I would like to think that, that you know well these issues will occur in the future. It, it, it's part of mining. But I'd like to think that you know that the planning going forward will allow for flexibility such that we can in the future hopefully uh, you know smooth them out without that material impact on guidance. 
Okay. So the current issue you have in hand, how long would that take to resolve? The, the, so the, the overall stripping issue within the pits, the Jamino or the, the localized uh, the localized area of instability. So the 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 localized area for instability. Uh, yeah, no problem. As I said uh, to the the previous uh, the previous uh, question is that that we you know we will rehabilitate that area over the first half of next year as part of a, a, a the normal course of operations, if you like, in terms of waste stripping uh, and, and perform the dewatering. So. You know that that higher grade material should be available second half, or we're planning for that to be available second half of next year. If we desperately wanted that all, we could push it harder and bring it forward, and um, but we'd be sort of moving equipment around the pit unnecessarily or in an unoptimal way. So, so mine that stage five west pushback area as part of the waste stripping, uh, de waste it from the top, de water from pumps, and then bring it in uh, second half of the year. And I would add that you know questions have been asked around what's the additional cost for this rehabilitation. I think it's important to note that the the, the unweighting of the uh, uh, the stripping associated with this rehabilitation is part of the normal course of business of the pushback of, of stage five walls. So it's it's not any additional cost to it. It's just part of the opex as we as we continue to strip and push the wall back. Yeah. So the high grade uh, uh, the high grade uh, uh, high grade operations. Yeah, high grade operations. When do you think you'll be able to, you know, tap more into that? So you're basically saying 2022 is where we feel the, you know, maybe the, the cost per, per ounce of gold will drop and as you're accessing more and more of this high-grade gold. Yeah, so so clearly as we, you know, progress down through the open pit and open up additional areas, make them available, um, that will allow us to access more medium and high-grade material as we roll forward. So. There's going to be, uh, you know, uh, a period where we where we sort of, you know, live on a, a fairly thin stage five north material for 12, 18, possibly 24 months. That'll contribute to, uh, but then obviously starting to bring in medium and high grade. Um, so, so certainly, you know, we'll start to see that high grade coming through in 22 and in 23. And as I mentioned before, you know, stepping back towards that 500 over three years is, uh, you know, is, is the target. Um, I think then, you know. In terms of playing both catch up with the stripping and then sort of you know operate, offering operational flexibility, you know we're talking about a three to four year stripping campaign uh, to allow us to get back to that level of, uh, of you know compliance with plan as we move forward as well. So so there will be you know this period, but once we're through that you know, with the current plan as envisaged of this move back there, we should see ourselves returning in the medium term to, to, to you know a, a more sort of um, steady state. Uh, sort of uh, production profile and stripping profile on the current plan. And in, in terms of the cash cost per ounce, do you see that uh, coming through also all of the cost savings to normalized levels uh, by 2022? Yeah, I think you know, as Ross mentioned before, this, you know, we've, the life of assets has been going on now for a little while, and, and we've got a number of opportunities that will. We'll talk to more on the second of, of December, but you know, as Ross talked to, there's, there's, I, I view it as there's a bucket of, if you like, operating efficiencies that we can layer in. Um, these, you know, might individually be potentially smaller numbers, but cumulatively can make quite a difference. So whether it's truck dispatch systems, automated uh, truck dispatch systems, uh, uh, you know, looking to extend tire life from 3,000 historically hours per trip tire up to 6,000 hours, for example. 
looking at things like dual gas blend, where we're putting gas into the, you know, blending that with diesel into the trucks, which gives us lower operating costs, longer life between services. Uh, we're using uh, sort of a lightweight, large volume trays on the back of the trucks that allow additional payload uh, and reduce fuel usage because they're lighter. So a number of sort of, you know, uh, technological, uh, you know, advancements that we can layer into Sukari that in their own right individually, you know, are nice benefits. But when you layer in a number of these opportunities across the business, you start seeing Cumulus see some nice changes. So, so I think there's a number of opportunities there. And, and these, are, these aren't things we're thinking about. For example, the dual gas blend, we've actually got four trucks, three or four, three, three, three trucks are currently on trial, yeah, and three trays. So these are actually on trial now, effectively. Uh, and then, so they're kind of, if you like, operating efficiencies, and, and they'll be layered in, say, from late 21 into 22 onwards, uh, once committing to them. Solar, that will come on board uh, sort of early 22. That's not in the current cost, and that would see power generation diesel reduced by about 30%. Um, we're looking at, you know, gas potentially or, or as, a, as a, a power source for, for generation there as well. And there's some, you, you know, some quite significant savings there if we can get gas into the site. And Egypt's a large producer of it and start producing power using natural gas over diesel. Uh, and then obviously the, the carbon emission benefits there as well. So, so you know, we feel that the cost base has sort of, you know, rolled forward at this stage. The current cost base uh, hasn't been fully laid into that. And I think there's a number of things. That, and these aren't sort of you know, aspirational targets. These are real targets that are being either implemented and, and, and studied right now, or like solar, for example, have been committed to and we brought in in due course as well. So we feel there's a, there's a lot of opportunity in the cost base to take this asset down, uh, you know, from where it currently tra uh, currently is at these levels uh, and take some costs out of the business that way. So even even with your aspirational, you know, cost savings, so, so it could Assuming all things go the way you, you want it to go in terms of uh, reducing costs and operational efficiency, would you have guidance on the cash cost level come 2022, or are we waiting uh, for the September 2nd, December 2nd uh, release? Yeah. yeah look, so you, um, as part of that capital uh, capital market sort of life of asset update on the 2nd of December, we'll, we will go into more detail of that at that time. Uh, I'm sure there's lots of questions around future production profiles, cost and capex and so on. So we will get more into that detail at, at that time. Uh, and I'm just conscious um, that, that, you know, today there's probably uh, a number of people, lots of questions. So if it's okay, that I'd like to sort of, if you like, uh, park that. I'm happy to engage in, in early December around some more of the detail around those initiatives. Sure, sure. Thank you. Thank you very much. Our next question is from Saeed Patel of KRN 2022-PLC. Your line is now open. Please go ahead. Um, thank you very much, and uh, good afternoon, gentlemen. Um, you know, you've not mentioned about it um, uh, in West Africa. I just wondered if you could shed some light in terms of how the drill drilling and exploration is going, and um, you know, following the disappointment at Sakari is um, where, where do you see the opportunities in terms of adding value uh, to sentiment going forward? Absolutely, no problem at all. <clears throat> well, uh, Batty West, we we uh, have completed a, an additional desktop study, a kind of bridging study, if you like, and that, that was completed through uh, August and September, uh, and we're looking to evaluate 
the, uh, the sort of opportunities for, for BATI. Uh, we're also looking at the licensing situation there that we need to address uh, around permit expiry. But, but certainly BATI West is moving into a, the next iteration of evaluation. And I would hope that sort of this side of Christmas we'll have a, a better handle on, you know, what the actual development opportunity is associated with BATI, scale of resource, reserve at this stage, uh, potential production live, forecast capex and cost. So I think that will be coming through and that work is actively ongoing now. Um, suffice to say, I think we have a good handle on both, both capital and operating costs in West Africa. Uh, and I think once we have that study out, that will give us a good steer on, on where BATI sits and, and whether BATI makes sense for a, for, for, for a company of sentiment scale. Uh, is it an opportunity that, that sort of is value accretive for us both in terms of cash flow generation, but importantly management focus? Or, or does that look better sort of elsewhere? Uh, but we won't front run that question, but suffice to say that, you know, we'll, we'll have a careful look at that as a development opportunity and make a decision. I think the ROPO, we've just finished drilling for the season. Uh, that work has been completed now. Uh, uh, we are basically currently packaging up that, uh, that database, and we'll be handing that over to our resource consultants. We expect to see a minimal resource estimate uh, uh, sort of over the balance of the year, maybe, maybe just coming out early part of next year. Uh, and once we have that resource update, very keen to run a ruler over Doropo uh, and really look at, you know, we've got a large mineral inventory there of resource ounces. Uh, I'm, I'm more interested in reserve ounces. You know, can we see the emergence of a project at Doropo that would, uh, that would you know, sort of, you know, warrant uh, development? Uh, and, uh, you know, ideally from my perspective, you know, my Christmas list uh, wish list came early, uh, you know, a, some, something in the order of a two-gram ore body supporting an eight to ten-year mine life uh, uh, you know, with a conventional sort of CIL type approach, something like that, you know, we, we believe would work in terms of giving us a, an ounce profile and a cost profile that would work for us. So, so I think there's, there's a, a lot of resource to tackle. It is somewhat spread out uh, across a geographical area, uh, but um, but in terms of um, in terms of uh, the, uh, the sort of the, the action there is that certainly keen to get an engineering study across the Rovo during the first quarter. ABC is a little bit earlier in the piece. There will be an exploration review of ABC. Uh, I, I don't think that will be at the point of having an engineering review passed over it, uh, but certainly we'll be having a careful look at it. So, so I think the key thing is that with our new exploration manager, Howard Bills, who joined us, Howard's been really getting into the weeds on, on, on West Africa uh, and really making sure that we're, we're getting bang for our buck on, ex, on expenditure, but also you know, future paths forward. We've got Russell White, who joined us as projects engineer. Uh, you know, he's got a lot of West African experience in helping to run those uh, bridging studies as well. So, so I think a, a very, a very careful and thorough look at across the West African portfolio to make some decisions around next steps, and they'll be flowing through end of this year into next. I, I would note as well, you talked about sort of value creation in West Africa. Um, we did uh, mention, probably slightly locked in the Q3 announcement, that we did actually submit a number of bids as part of the recent Egyptian uh, exploration bid round. Uh, I, I met the Minister of Petroleum uh, while in Cairo last week and, and also EMRA uh, and had some good discussions around, you know, sort of sentiment, commitment to Egypt and our desire to, to work with the government to develop the hard rock sector in Egypt as well. And I, and I certainly see that, you know, if we're, if we're lucky enough to be awarded or win the bid, to be awarded some ground and, and can sort of, you know, iron out the final bits of inevitable negotiation we'll have is that I think that's a really exciting opportunity because the, the sort of, you know, the, the potential of the Arabian Nubian shield here in Egypt is significant. They've really been explored with modern exploration techniques. Uh, and I think that would be, um, you know, a really interesting sort of um, situation cause of having the sort of Sukari infrastructure and cash flow over the, the longer term supporting a strategic land package in Egypt. I think it's quite, a, quite an exciting opportunity. So outside of Sukari and getting that right, 
I still see sort of you know, good opportunity to certainly in West Africa to, to realize value in one shape or another uh, and also really look to hopefully get stuck into some exploration across Egypt as well. Yes. Thank, thank you so much. And with regards to the, um, the, 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 the bids that you put forth for the exploration licenses, um, are you able to share um, how many blocks that you've actually put uh, a bid for and when do you expect to see, um, what are your timescales in terms of getting um, uh, a, uh, an outcome back uh, from uh, from the uh, from the from the mineral authority. So I, I won't share you know specific commercial details around that because it's slightly commercially sensitive. What I would say is that that you know if we look at our you know strategy across Egypt in terms of exploration with an existing mill and infrastructure here at Sukari, you can probably appreciate that. You know, looking for satellite feed that could, you know, feed directly into our mill is, is first prize. If we can find ounces that can be brought to our existing infrastructure, they're clearly the highest MPV. So you can probably imagine that we're looking within a radius of the uh, of the mill. No real commercial sensitivity there. That, that would be quite straightforward. And then there are a number of areas uh, that we've looked at which are uh, distant from Sukari uh, that we believe are interesting. Uh, uh, they would likely necessitate sort of uh, development of standalone operations, but, but obviously I'm not, we're not uh, prepared to, uh, to talk about those as that, that's uh, proprietary and potentially sensitive information. So, so suffice to say, uh, uh, you know, looking at satellite feed for Sukari uh, and then other, other areas further from that. In terms of the, the, the response from the bid round, um, EMRA, sort of the chairman of EMRA we met, uh, he indicated that uh, they received some good interest uh, that they were working through the technical qualification of the submitted bids, uh, and then we're looking on the commercial stage thereafter. Uh, and I think, you know, we would hope, uh, uh, but uh, can't commit to that, that this side of Christmas that we might, um, you know, we might be able to get some indication of, uh, of, the, of the feedback from that there as well. Okay. Thank you. Thank you very much. Our our next question is from Tyler Brawler of RVC. Your line is now open. Please go ahead. Great. Thanks, uh, thanks, Warren. Thanks, uh, thanks, Ross. Thanks for the call, and also thanks for the clear guidance on 2021. Um, can I ask you that as you're moving through the underground um, planning process, I guess, and I don't want to front run the uh, December update, but I guess just in general, how comfortable is your level of understanding of the resource or the reserves, I guess, uh, for us? Uh, and I guess why the reserve the resources in terms of you know potential to expand uh, the underground going forward is that is that sort of part of the uh, the thought process? Yeah, no, look, absolutely, it's a really good question, Tyler. No, thank you for that. Um, no, look, I, I think that you know when we look at the underground, clearly, you know, on a reserve basis, we've, we've always got a you know a couple of years ahead of ourselves, you know, sort of two three years ahead. Uh, we're looking at that, and that rolls forward, and, and, and that, as you probably appreciate, is just a function of having exploration drill drives in place and then and then sort of drilling off that to prove up. So we're always looking to sort of roll ahead. One of the things I'm keen to look at is that can we sort of break the cycle where we've got to get away from a, a development ton, you know, shouldn't take away from a stoping ton, we should be able to do both. So we can break that cycle and we're looking at that, getting ahead of development uh, certainly as we move down towards Horus and then but importantly drill drives will be important for us. Uh, and when we look at the sort of the long-term planning that we've got laid out and, and based, you know, we've, we've done conceptual plans out 10 years based on measured, indicated, inferred, and in some areas where we've got three or four drill holes, so very limited, but at least, you know, we, we, we recognize this mineralization there that looks interesting, we can develop out to it. But within that long section, 
when we look at it, if you like, is that there's you know large large areas of um, of, of no stopes or development planned. And, and sort of talking to the geos the last couple of days, we've been looking at this. Is that you know is that based on drill data? Uh, and therefore, we can't. We, we know it's dead. It's like no, it, it's based on, on on lack of drill data, and therefore we have no idea. So, so certainly my sense is that you know the the underground is certainly not geologically constrained. We haven't found the edges. You know, we're not we're not out of or you know it really is drill constrained. We, we haven't sort of had the opportunity in the last while to to really sort of feel our way down the ore body and extend. You know, what happens to Horus to depth? What happens to the Osiris throat? What happens along strike? You know, so there's plenty to go after my mind, uh, and uh, and certainly you know there's one or two sort of hits that sort of sit slightly randomly out in the middle of nowhere. But there's one hit that I think is at 50 centimeters wide, so relatively narrow, but running at almost three ounces, maybe four ounces a, a ton for 120 gram type material. So and that and that sits you know many hundreds of meters from anywhere else and just sits there uh, in the Osiris uh, uh, sort of uh, contact thrust zone. So so certainly I think the underground. Certainly not geologically constrained, definitely drill constrained. Uh, and I think the sort of the excitement for us is, is, you know, how do we sort of get ourselves across that? And I think with Craig Barker, who's just joined as a group mineral resource manager, um, you know, that's one of the tasks for him now is to really work with the guys and unravel that geological model uh, to depth uh, and really start to map out where this can go from there as well. So, so I think, um, no, certainly certainly not, uh, not geologically constrained at this stage. And my, my feeling would be looking at it you know, more to come for sure, but we've got to basically get the work done to prove that up and take it from there. No, that's uh, that's very helpful. If I can ask as well, the um, the new bid round, the new bid blocks, those are there with a different, uh, you mentioned a different tax and royalty regime. Um, would there be any potential for you to change Sukari's um, uh, license into into that regime, do you think? You could just see Ross Gerard wince over a telephone call. That would have been uh, quite, a, quite a visual sight for you there. But no, look, I, I think... Um, I think uh, no. Uh, look, you know that that's under law two two two, uh, and that's an act of parliament. Uh, and I think sort of you know we, we attempted to sort of open up that. I, I think sort of all sorts of trouble lies that way. So I think um, that the, you know in terms of the Sukari concession is that we are you know there are, it is it is as is. We have no intention of being up to change it. Uh, and you know the current bid round doesn't impact on on, on Sukari at this stage. Um, yeah. I think you know the new the new terms. And um, speaking to the minister last week. Uh, you know, it was his aim to, to basically sort of, if you like, uh, sort of, you know, modernize the, the mining code to make it attractive to foreign investment. Uh, and I think this, you know, with the support of Wood McKenzie, I think this is a huge step in moving away from that sort of production sharing oil and gas type mentality historically uh, to open it up from there as well. So, um, so no, but that would be interesting for us once we work through that, if we are awarded satellite feed and the new regime and how that interacts with Sukari. But, you know, you know that in, in, in the event of that happy incident, then we'll have that discussion at that time. No, that makes perfect sense. Great. Thanks very much, guys. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.
BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 